Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed our new musical tune there. We needed to upgrade it, to change it. Give it a refresh. And there's a funny story behind the name of that tune, but I'm going to tell you about that on our next episode when I have a little bit more time. Because right now, I need to introduce you to today's episode and our super podcast guest. And it's important for me that we have a balance of content from those inspirational stories of people that are buying buildings and investing in them successfully through to practical, impactful information that you and I can use in our commercial property businesses right now. And in this episode, we're going to go into a super important deep dive about asbestos. Neil Monroe is an absolute expert in this field, and we have a great conversation discussing where it comes from, the form it takes, where we might find it in our buildings, what we can do about it, and whether it should be removed or managed in situ. And if you're ever going to buy a commercial property, this is a really important area and can be one of those problem areas that can upset even the best made investor plans because they haven't taken the time to educate themselves about it. You really can't pop your head in the sand about this one. I learned lots on this episode, and I hope you do too. Now let's have a good listen in. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I've got a great guest on here, Neil Monroe. Neil, nice to see you. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? I'm really good, thanks. Uh, Neil, we met, what, two years ago? Maybe, actually, it's probably longer than that now. It was before oh, COVID. Yeah, COVID wipes it all out, doesn't it? <laughs> there was a pause there. Yeah. So we we um, we both met during a mastermind. You guys were doing a podcast. I was starting to do a yep. podcast. So there was some commonality there, but also your um, business is focused in on supporting people with asbestos. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've got we've kind of got two arms of the business. Um, our kind of original main part of the business was we're an asbestos consultancy. Yeah. So we we help clients, uh, business owners manage their asbestos risk, um, and that's through kind of providing them with helping them identify where asbestos is, um, helping them manage the risk from people being exposed to it, um, all the way through to kind of writing the specifications and helping them deal with any sort of future remediation works. We also help them train their staff. 
uh, and any contractors that they use on on best practices. And uh, so it's kind of a one-stop shop for asbestos, really. Um, but kind of to support that on the side, we've got a health and safety consultancy as well. So, you know, that's anything from general appointed persons through to construction, CDM stuff. So it's kind of a... Um, Anything to do with kind of commercial properties, we, we we do get involved with, really. Great. Thanks, Dion. And it's worth saying you do that with Ian, don't you, Ian Stone? Yeah, so we've, um, yeah, we've, we've got my, he's one of my business partners. Um, we've, we've got um, kind of five directors across the company. Um, we've got three based in Northampton and then we've got two further up, up north who kind of run the business from, from our northern office. Fantastic. Right. So... The reason for this podcast is that I've I've met a few different people in the industry who have different opinions about asbestos, right? So there's some that maybe are, maybe don't quite know as much as they should do. Yeah. And they feel, oh, my goodness, I'm going to run the other direction. That's the yeah. first, right? Other people um, maybe come across in a building and completely panic. Yeah. And others um, have no regard for health and safety and rip it out. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's... So- what I wanted to do today really was just go into depth a little bit about the form it takes, where we find it, the type of properties, all that detail so that people listening to this podcast are just better informed about what actually happens with this, this yeah. product. So a lot of people sort of um, think that asbestos was a thing of the past. Um, and yes, it was. Um, the UK was kind of one of the biggest users of asbestos in the world. Um, we we loved the stuff. We imported millions and millions of tons of asbestos into this country. Uh, at one point, we were the biggest manufacturers of asbestos products in the world. Um, that sort of was, um, was in Rochdale. So, you know, we 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 just couldn't get enough of it. Um, and the kind of school of thought was, if there was a product that could be made cheaper or better by adding asbestos, um, then it generally was. Um, so, literally. Um, you know, surveys today that we we employ, they're still going out into buildings and finding stuff that we've never seen before. So that's kind of the extent of it. And, and these asbestos products range from sort of more commonly known things of cement garage roofs and ceiling tiles, bath panels, but floor tiles, kitchen mastic pads underneath the sinks, toilet resin systems. Um, you name it, basically, um, there's an asbestos product that kind of fits in somewhere. It's not just construction materials, but it's also items within the building as well. And that's sometimes what people forget about. Um, it's, you know, stuff like it's in, you know, boilers, fridges, filing cabinets, um, you name it. You know, if there was a little fire protection, they would add asbestos into into these products. And, and so, yeah. It's, it's kind of estimated around 5,000 different products have been created. Wow. We're not so, going to get through that list today then. I hope yeah, you get exactly, some. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it, it really is extensive. Um, and like I said, we imported millions of tons of it um, and we were using it right up until the full um, UK prohibition of asbestos, which was November 1999. So for you know people our age, 1999 doesn't seem that long ago, does it really? But you know, we, we were using it right up until that, that um, there's been various prohibitions of asbestos over the years. Kind of the first UK prohibition was 1985. And then there was a few um, staged ones until the final one in 1999. So yeah, we've 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 used asbestos, and asbestos is still present in you know millions of buildings in this country, heavily in commercial, um, but also in domestic as well. Yeah. So it's in our houses. Um, you name it, it's been in any building. You know, schools 
hospitals, offices, factories, um, you know, you know, extensively used in, in all these, these these properties. Now, the unique thing, because now we, we're talking about commercial properties, there is legislation in place um, across the UK where um, there is a duty to manage asbestos in all non-domestic premises. So as a rule, um, the person who's responsible for the maintenance and repair of that building, that could be the owner, it could be um, the leaseholder of that property, um, they have a duty to manage asbestos in that property. Um, how do you manage asbestos? So firstly, you need to kind of find out where it is. So you'd have an asbestos survey carried out to identify where those materials are. And then you need to put in procedures in place. So you need to have a written plan, which is called an asbestos management plan. That needs to write how you're going to prevent people being exposed to asbestos in those those properties. And part of that uh, management process, you've got a duty to supply the asbestos information to whomever may need it. So if anyone's going to work in those properties, um, they need to provide that information to them. So where we're now talking about, we're going to be buying commercial properties in essence in theory every um commercial property in in this country should have um some form of asbestos information and i say should because um that's been in place since um 2002 enforced since 2004 so in theory everywhere should have this but in reality lots of people still are not complying with this so that's if so if you're now looking at buying a commercial property um first things well one of the first things i think you should be asking is where's your specific information for this property before you even you know talk figures talk money because you know you could in, in essence be buying you know uh a, a property with lots of asbestos in it which may not be in a good condition so that's kind of one of the the points I want to raise now before you even looking or you know talking about money about prior property that's one of the first things you should always say where's your specific information for this property if they haven't got it then again you it's an unknown it's an unknown sort of risk that you're potentially going into and and if there is a specific information or, or you instruct a survey to be undertaken to identify if there is anything there that you could then use that as a as a possible bargaining chip of okay right you want X for this property, but actually we need to spend this amount to actually get the asbestos into a safe condition before we even do any other work. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we'll come on to that. You're talking about getting it to safe condition. Some people feel you have to take it out. That's the only option, but it's yeah. not. But just let me just pop back for a second. You, we mentioned, you mentioned there about when those um, regulations came into play yeah. and when indeed the asbestos was banned. But what from what age was it actually started when did we start using it yeah so um so asbestos has been kind of about for you know there, there's writings back in near literary cage so we've been using asbestos you know for thousands of years basically um, and, and there's actual sort of um writings about um sort of ancient civilizations using asbestos and they even noted then you know oh the slaves, sickness in the slaves using asbestos. So although we, you know, it's it's kind of a, a misconception that we we kind of didn't know that asbestos was was harmful. Um, it was kind of fueled by um, the production and the actual, the positive side of asbestos. So, you know, it's use, it's actually a wonderful material. 
it's a wonderful construction material which was abundantly um, mined from the ground used mixed with other construction materials to make kind of really good products um, and they were really cheap so that's kind of what fueled the mass use of asbestos um, it was brilliant at what it did and it was very cheap so that's why thousands of properties were were constructed with, with this material so yeah so the real kind of boom years for asbestos kind of started in the 1950s through to kind of the late 1970s so if you're looking at those age of buildings that's where you probably see or you're likely to come across some of the high risk items so you know stuff like sprayed coatings is a is a high risk asbestos insulation um asbestos insulating boards those types of products which Loose are, fiber materials yeah they're they're highly friable they're quite soft um materials so and, and that's where kind of the risk comes from when these these materials are, are soft got high asbestos content um, they can easily release asbestos fiber through disturbance and that's quite easy to disturb these types of materials that creates yeah. the risk from them so that's kind of the, there with the boom sort of years for asbestos and then, and then it kind of the public knowledge of asbestos um and it being harmful to us was kind of coming into the forefront in public knowledge and that's when we sort of started to see a, uh, a gradual decline in the use of it so we started seeing similar bands on the high risk materials uh, and just using white asbestos um, which was deemed as the not so bad one um, yeah. that that theory's never been proven from a medical point of view um, and yeah, so we kind of continued using lower risk, um, creating lower risk asbestos products. So asbestos cements um, were heavily used through this period. Um, sort of floor tiles, plastic floor tiles, and stuff like that were heavily used. Gaskets um, on pipework, etc. So yeah, so that although it was a decline, it was only a very gradual decline out um until we go all the way up to 1999 so you think how many properties were built in that period particularly after the second world war so kind of the early 50s you know we built a lot of schools a lot of hospitals a lot of infrastructure um, following that which was you know in those boom years of asbestos it's estimated that 78 percent of schools in england contain asbestos um because they were built in that period where you know asbestos was heavily used um so yeah there is still a lot of asbestos present in these buildings you know let's just just go into the chemistry for a second um we mentioned there about the really fibrous stuff yeah. the, the loose form and you, you're the one with the expertise here but as, as far as i'm aware there's three different types that we used is that correct and maybe you could just quickly yeah. talk through those so there's there's actually six types of asbestos okay um, straight away well three were, well three were only really commercially used so okay that's kind of oh, that's where, where it is, yeah yeah that's where everyone's familiar with them um uh, and they were crystal which was commonly known as white uh amosite was commonly known as brown asbestos and chrysidolite which was commonly known as blue asbestos um they kind of took the names from their their kind of color white asbestos crystal is, is white um, blue asbestos is really blue. It's got a really kind of magical blue colour to it. Brown asbestos is a brownie grey. Um, so yeah, they were, they were the three commercially utilised. We were kind of the biggest users of amosite brown asbestos um, in the world. And uh, the theory 
which um, we've actually got the worst or the highest rate of mesothelioma deaths, which is an asbestos-related cancer. Um, and there is kind of a, a loose connection or theory between, you know, we were the, the biggest users of amosite around asbestos in the world is linked to why we've got the highest mesothelioma um, death rates in the, in the world. So, yeah, asbestos, it really is a, a big problem in in this country. The reason why Chrysler was was the, the main asbestos product that we used in this country, the white asbestos, um, because of its unique properties, thermal conductivity, uh, resistant to acids, uh, insoluble in water, but yet it could be spun and woven like cotton. So, you know, it could be used in lots and lots of different um, sort of materials and create different products etc that's why it was used so much it's estimated it makes up probably 90 percent of asbestos products in this country so it's pretty much everywhere um although there there are the three types um between the amosite chrysidolite um and the other amphiboles they're needle-like fibers whereas chrysidol was curly um fibers however they do um, harmful effects exactly the same on the body. So when we, the risk from asbestos is when we inhale or ingest the uh, asbestos fibres. Um, and basically what happens is, you know, if we inhale them, they go into our lungs, they get stuck in our lungs. Um, and basically because of their, their unique properties, the body just can't break those fibres down. So they just literally sit in your body um, and probably will be there long after you've gone. So that then creates the cancer-causing effects of asbestos. So that's why it leads on to either um, asbestos lung cancer or mesothelioma. Lots of people are kind of aware of asbestosis or have heard of asbestosis. Yeah. Asbestosis is, is um, a disease which is related to scarring of the lungs. So we don't actually get that kind of exposure anymore. That's back when we used to use it and manufacture the items people working in those factories used to get asbestosis because they were being exposed to heavy, long periods of times of exposure to asbestos. So asbestosis is actually on the decline and it's really the, the cancers that are our biggest concern now. And that's linked to accidental um, and low um, intensity exposures as well. So there's lots of cases where um, teachers um, have been exposed to asbestos by working in buildings which contain asbestos and um, but not actually physically working in an industry which you would say is at risk yeah. um, being exposed to asbestos um, so yeah that's kind of the, the, the okay. working aspect of asbestos okay Neil so we, we let's just quickly talk about where we where we're likely to find it we've spoken about age of properties and types of uses yeah. Um, some some of the things I've come across would be, uh, you mentioned there about heating pipes, insulation, yeah. but also the heat resistant panels, maybe behind boilers, um, electric boards, tiles, floor tiles, which always surprised me. Um, yeah. Roofs, fascias, soffits, gaskets you've mentioned in, in pumps, even yeah. things like door handles, yeah. big light, all these things. Um, I mean, what's the most unusual that you've found? Well, I suppose the most unusual, um, I think, that which blows everyone's mind is, um, which is, is not construction related, but um, asbestos in cigarette filters. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that always kind of, what, why? why? <laughs> um, it was, uh, again, in the 1950s, um, Kent Cigarettes created a, what was called, Micronite filter. 
and it was kind of marketed and advertised as um, the ultimate safe cigarette. So to protect its smokers from the harmful and harshness of um, tar and nicotine from its you know, uh, cigarettes, it produces filter, which was supposed to protect them from that. Um, and what they used to protect them from it was asbestos fiber. Yeah. Uh, so not only uh, would you be getting the nicotine and the tar, but you would also be getting you know, thousands of fibers in your lungs as well from the, from the asbestos. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, we, we we were using it everywhere. We were dish cloths. Um, we were using it, you know, around the home. Um, I always the one when I first came into the industry always kind of baffled me was um, the mastic mastic pads underneath the sinks. I don't know if you have ever seen a metal sink. If you look underneath it, it's got like a black tarry yeah. pad underneath it. Um, but yeah, they, they were heavily used with asbestos in those. So. When I when I grew up, um, we had electric heating. Uh, we um, up north, so there wasn't any gas links. Electric heating and the ducting. Yeah. All the ducting was um, made from asbestos panels. Mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's still there's still some of that present. Oh, yeah, there will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's and and the worrying thing is the actual ducting is made out of the asbestos. So. Um, Asbestos insulating board usually is used. Sometimes it's cement, but usually it's asbestos insulating board. And uh, unsealed asbestos insulating board will, with with a bit of disturbance, i.e., wind and, and air, it will release asbestos yep. fibers. So, you know, with a warm air heating system, that's blowing air over it constantly. Right. So let's talk about how we deal with this. Um, okay. Rather than running away, yeah, <laughs> we have options, right? Yeah, so from a from a commercial property point of view, like I said, um, there should should be asbestos information. Um, however, if you're looking to do works, um, then prior to um, undertaking any kind of intrusive refurbishment works within a property, um, you as an employer have a duty to identify whether asbestos is there or not before sending your employees in. Um, so that would that would really apply to your contractors so they would probably be pushing that kind of responsibility up to the you know to you as the developer so yeah so basically if if you're looking to do any intrusive works um they would need a refurbishment survey carried out to see if there's any asbestos present there prior to any works being undertaken that survey would then give you the information on where the asbestos is now the important thing if you are looking to refurb a property is prior to the asbestos surveys, having a fully detailed scope of works. So what are you actually planning to do? That's really important for two, two reasons. So one, you need to give that information to the asbestos surveyor so they can make sure that they look and identify all the areas where you plan to do works so they can identify if asbestos is present or not. But equally, um, because it's an intrusive survey, you want to give them that information so they don't damage any other elements of the building that you're not doing any works on. Um, so you haven't got any kind of back, you know, making good where you didn't really need to or want to do any yeah. works. So once you've got that information, that server will give you um, all, the, all the details of where the asbestos is within the property. Um, and then you've got basically the information on what do you need to do with it. Now, if you're looking, you know, if you've, identifying asbestos insulating board wall and your plan to take it take that wall out or it's coming out then the only option you've got is to have it removed however 
depending on what you're planning and what the scope of works are, just because it's been identified doesn't mean to say you have to remove. The only real duty as as the person who's going to have responsibility for the building in the future is to make sure no one's exposed to it. So if you actually look at the regulations, you only have, as a duty holder, have to prevent people being exposed to asbestos. So as long as you're maintaining that, you're fulfilling your requirement. So the, the cheapest option would be if you've identified asbestos that's in a poor condition and you can't afford or or to do something with it, then you, as long as you're preventing people coming into contact with it, you're managing it. There's lots of opportunities where, you know, you take on a commercial building, it's got an old boiler room full of asbestos. Um, that's redundant now. You've, you've put in a, a new central heating system that boiler room could then be isolated, locked off, boarded up, sealed, so no one can actually ever go in there, and that asbestos is contained within that property. Um, and as long as you're maintaining no one's going in there, that's you managing that asbestos. So it's kind of, it, it really does take, um, and I'd always recommend taking advice on what's the best course of action to um to kind of manage that asbestos property it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you have to remove um sometimes you can repair sometimes you can isolate so they're the kind of options that you've got okay so if you if it's left in situ obviously it will go in uh, it'll be in the asbestos report but equally it yeah. needs to be in the management plan yeah and you need to mark it up is that correct there's no requirement to label asbestos okay um labeling is kind of um viewed as the last line defence, and that could be part of your management process. So um, what's most important is having that management plan, how you're controlling people on that site, contractors doing any works. That's the important bit. Um, and people, some people choose to actually, as in addition to that, I'm going to label the material in case all this goes wrong, then at least if somebody comes in front of this material, there's a label there to stop them. Yeah, okay. So labelling, yeah, definitely shouldn't be as I've labelled it. That's what I need to do. It's all about controlling how people work and and operate in your building and to prevent uh, prevent them being exposed to asbestos. Okay, and let's just just go on to the removal side. If we do decide we have to remove some from a certain element of the building, um, perhaps it's damaged, perhaps there's some um, redevelopment going that means it needs to come out. Just talk us through how that's actually removed and there's a few precautions obviously yeah so so again removals is all based on risk um and the risk is determined by the type of material it is um and the removal process so each asbestos project or job has to have its own assessment undertaken to to deem what controls are needed to actually remove that material now, with high-risk asbestos removal, that has to be undertaken by a licensed contractor. So HC licensed contractor would um, deal with all the kind of uh, high-risk items, for instance, you know, all your insulations, insulated boards, yep. etc. Lower-risk materials um, can be undertaken by what we call non-licensed uh, asbestos removal contractors. They still have to pretty much do most of the same as the licensed contractor so for instance they have to have adequate training they have to be insured to do it have the right equipment undertake the risk assessment have a you know plan of works on how they're going to tackle that and prevent people being exposed to asbestos from those works so it's not just a case of 
I can get my builder to do that. It has to be done by you know an appropriately trained um, you know, asbestos removal operative. So yeah, so that it really does depend on on, on the material. Um, if it's a licensed activity, that would then um, you know that that's the full enclosure work. So licensed contractors would turn up with a usually with a decontamination unit. Um, they would fully enclose the material, so the asbestos that's being removed. So they build like a you know a polythene enclosure. Yep. They have airlocks for entry, bag locks for taking the waste out. Um, that that um, enclosure is placed under negative um, pressure, so the air is moving into the enclosure, yep. not out. So if there's any breaches, um, it's wet. You know, minimal dust um, is created from the from the work. So yeah, dust suppression activities um, in the form of like wetting the material, shadow vacuuming. Um, so it's creating you know virtually no dust during the removal process. Um, the materials are double bagged so wrapped in you know thousand gauge polythene or in in waste sacks that then is removed from the enclosure and that will then go either to a, a skip on site or uh, a waste transit van which would then go on to usually a, um, a transfer station but then to landfill and that's where most of our asbestos waste goes to landfill um, there are technologies at the moment which are coming coming on stream but they're still very expensive um sort of using heat um, degradation so it's basically massive lot of high high uh, temperature furnace kind of denaturalizes de- it and makes it inert so it can then be taken as um kind of road um mrt stuff so yeah so that, in the enclosure then once so the materials um, removed. The enclosure is completely cleaned down to remove all dust and debris um, by the licensed contractor. Then they, uh, an independent consultant such as ourselves, has to come in and verify that all the materials have been removed and the enclosure is free from all dust and debris. Um, the enclosure is then air tested uh, and their certificate of reoccupation is issued to the to the occupier. So that's kind of the licensed side. Um, on the non-licensed side, there isn't a requirement to have an independent um, four-stage clearance. However, the, the contractor in the taking the works should um, make a statement of cleanliness that it's been completed to a satisfactory standard. Um, we would always uh, um, recommend air monitoring undertaken in those works just to prove, particularly if you've got an occupied site, to prove that no one's been exposed during those works. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's take it to external instead of internal because it's on a lot of soffits, fascias, roof boards. Yes. Um, you mentioned there about trained operatives, but not necessarily a specialist contractor. Yeah. In in that scenario where it's perhaps, and again, I'm making an assumption here, but generally I think that's white asbestos in those types of roof panels, big six asbestos panels. Yeah, so there it's so when we when we're looking at the material risk, um, so the material risk is is made up kind of from the the type of product it is, mm-hmm. uh, condition it's in, and the kind of the asbestos content. So with cement, so those um, yeah cement sheets, cement boards, because they're high density, so it's quite a hard material. Um, it's generally got a lower asbestos content, um, which 
reduces the risk slightly. So um, it's harder for asbestos fibres to be released from those materials because they're so hard. Yeah. So that's why we, the risk is reduced. So those materials can be um, removed by a non-licensed contractor. But as I said, it needs to be still done with, you know, they still have to have the appropriate yeah. training, et cetera. And equally, when it goes out on the road, Neil, it needs um, licensed transport. Is that correct? Yep. So anyone transporting it will need to have a hazardous waste license. Yeah. Um, generally, or some some contracts get around it by having a hazardous waste skip delivered to site and then taken away. Yeah. So that sort of you don't need the the, the waste carrier's license then. Okay. And um, I, I know this is going to be incredibly difficult to answer, but. Is there any typical costs? So let's say we're looking at roofing sheets. Is there a square meter cost? Or is the setup so much that even if it's a small amount or a large amount, yeah. you've still got that setup? I mean, we've we've gone through exactly what you just des- described there with having that sealed polythene, yeah. basically erected polythene walls around an area that had some asbestos that we had, uh, had yeah. all the negative pressure, all that stuff going on. And it wasn't cheap, but... Nice. yeah. Um, it, it wasn't maybe quite as much as I thought it would be, to be fair. Yeah. But is there any guidelines on costs or are we really just every job is different? Yeah, because of the every kind of asbestos job is different. Um, yeah. There's no kind of, yes, you, you may be able to get, um, like for local authority housing works, you know, where it's just a, it's the same flu every day, um, you'd get probably, a, you know, an accurate, cost for that sure but yeah generally speaking um where where you've got different items and properties you know it can range from kind of i don't know 400 quid to in the thousands um so yeah it really is hard to give a a ballpark on any any asbestos job without actually um it being viewed and, and and priced accordingly because you know as, as in the regulations, you know, a specific risk assessment has to be undertaken for that each and individual enclosure. Um, so, yeah, it, it can vary, really. Yeah, I think, and I'm, I really should remember, but we didn't have hundreds of square metres. It was only maybe probably less than 10 square metres of board, rigid board that we're just talking about, which is used as far... Um, yeah, fire insulation material around some timber, sure. and or was it even cast iron? I can't remember one or the other. And they had to build up the enclosures and everything else. It wasn't five figures, but it was certainly um, high four figures to have all that done. Yeah, but I guess one of the things that that softens the blow a little bit is there is a tax incentive on removal of asbestos, isn't there? Yeah, so um, again, this, this is something you'd need to speak to your accountant on. But um, there, there is yeah. If you're, it's to do with your creating a safer environment. So you're depolluting as the, a property. There is tax um, incentives for that. You can get off your corporation tax. I can't remember. Is it 150 or is it 130 percent? One or the other. I can't. I can't. I don't know the figure off the top of my head. Yeah, it's now 150, I think. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so basically, and obviously this is really for our UK listeners, but I'm sure there's there's the same for others in other countries, but we can take an allowance of 150% of the total cost um, into our corporation um, tax calculations. 
which does help a little bit. But nevertheless, it's not it's not inexpensive to do. However, as you say, there are two options here. You don't have to take it out um, yeah. if it's feasible to leave it in. In fact, I should imagine, is that sometimes the preferred case? Well, the point I kind of want to make is asbestos shouldn't be a surprise. Yes, it does happen. Um, and with all the best money in the world, sometimes asbestos does surprise on projects. However, if you've, if you've planned it properly, you've scoped the property properly and the, the specification for the refurbishments, everything should be costed in before, you know, so it shouldn't be a surprise. So you shouldn't get to the end of the project and go, oh, we need to recoup that money because it's already been planned for yeah. uh, at the feasibility stage. Um, so, yeah, asbestos shouldn't be you know, a big surprise on a project if it's all done correctly. Okay. So... Have you come across some projects, Neil, where you've gone out and done a survey or you've been involved in the identifying stage and actually it's just meant the end of a project? People have just walked away because there's too much. Is that is um, that the, is that like 5% of the times, you know? What, in, in my career, in my 20-odd career, um, I don't think I've have we've ever been involved with a project that has started um, and then let go because of asbestos. However, there's been plenty of projects which are at the feasibility stage, yeah. thinking it's it's doable, identified the asbestos, looked at it and said, actually, it's not worth the risk of taking that property on. Yeah. And then abandoned it. So it's kind of, yeah. Very once you're in boots on the ground, generally speaking, you know, if there are any surprises, they're usually dealt with and and the project continues. Uh, but yeah, I've never had one where it's like they're halfway through a project and then abandoned it. Um, I think everyone, <laughs> yeah, that's never happened. I don't yeah, and, and is there still some that you drive past and you think, hmm, they've still not done anything with that one? Oh, loads, yeah, yeah, yeah loads um yeah there's loads of you know abandoned buildings farm farms are probably one of the worst ones that you see regularly you know you drive past an old farm and it's got you know sheets of asbestos um cement hanging off the roofs and stuff like that um abandoned sites um we went through a phase of um hospitals abandoned hospitals down here in the midlands um which were kind of back barren and derelict for years which kind of just only being re- redeveloped now but yeah there's there's lots of there's lots of properties like i said because of the use of it um you know we're getting to that stage now where life cycles of buildings with asbestos are kind of you know on, on the tip of being you know going over day you know particularly with schools yeah. if you look at our schools are in the right state aren't they um and and the asbestos is still present in lots and lots of schools right okay so um, you mentioned the one because I was going to ask you what happens to all this stuff, but you said, yeah, it, yeah. it eventually goes a hole in the ground. Yeah, it goes back to where it came from yeah. <laughs> um, because that's all we can do with it. Um, like I said, there are new te- technologies coming on, but they're not really commercially um, viable yet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're not kind of we're still burying it, basically. OK, Neil. So just in, in summary here for what investors need to consider, you mentioned earlier on we, we we must get a, we must get it surveyed. Yep. Get a look at what's going on before we actually uh, commit ourselves to these projects. Definitely. Um, we need 
obviously we're going to get an asbestos report but that's not enough we need a written management plan should we decide to keep um any of that product in there yeah so yeah if you're if you're developing and to sell them on um the buyer will probably look for that information um if they're doing their due diligence properly um but yeah so initially gather as much information from the previous owners as you can um, review that see if there's any gaps um, and, and, and basically kind of evaluate whether you need to then do further inspections before you commit to the project um, if you do yeah get that information make sure it's specific to what you're planning to do um, that's really important specification for the asbestos survey is really really important um, because you may have to then go back and do extra stuff and um, once you've got that information it's then planning out what you're going to do to remediate if you need to remediate any asbestos there whether you're going to keep it repair it or remove it um, and then whatever's left when you've you know finished your project um yeah you then need to formulate an asbestos management plan on how you know you're going to manage that asbestos risk obviously when a new occupier or new owner comes in they'll need to do their own one because it's, it'll be specific to the, their use of the building um yeah and then and that's kind of where you hand over to that new owner great okay thanks neil so who do um investors need to be talking to we're, we're going to get your details in a minute of course neil but just who is it they should be reaching out to yeah uh, so for support of this yeah so if you you should be looking for um ucas accredited asbestos consultancies so um UCAS is the united kingdom accreditation service so in this country they're they're the um the body that um awards us to undertake the works that we do with regards to asbestos so it's kind of a an, ex, an external verification that we you know we we're competent and experienced to obviously undertake those types of works um yeah always look for ucas now you don't actually have to be a ucas accredited um organization to do asbestos surveys but i would always look for the ucas because it does prove that competency because it's been externally um verified by a government-backed body um if you're looking to undertake removals off your own back um obviously the consultancy will usually be able to help you and assist you with that but if you wanted to go direct to a contractor um I'd always recommend using a HC licensed asbestos contractor, even if it's for non-licensed works. They've just got everything in place. And yeah. all the insurances, all the procedures, they would have everything in place to make sure that the work's completed to a satisfactory standard. So that type of, um, that's who you need to kind of look for if you're looking um, for any asbestos kind of works. Great. Okay, so let's just go back to where we started this conversation, Neil. You and I met. Um, you were already on your podcast journey. I was just starting out. Yes. You have um, quite a lot of content up there already about asbestos so people can check out. So do you want to just remind me of the name of the podcast where people can find yeah. it? So it's the Asbestos Knowledge Empire. Um, it's available on all all the popular kind of places you can, can download and listen to podcasts. So the reason we, we, we started that, so... Um, just take a step back. We, um, myself and my business partner Ian Stone, we wrote uh, a book called Asbestos to Dark Arts. Uh, and it was a book aimed at duty holders, what they need to do to um, manage their asbestos. 
Um, because what we found is there's lots of different HSC documents that you kind of need to take bits from to figure it all out. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's always kind of in that very structured, confusing um, HSC speak. Um, so we, we kind of put it all into kind of an easy format. Um, so that's where we, we created that. That was – and then we thought, well, actually – not everyone likes reading books, do they? Um, so we thought, and there was there was a couple of other little bits of we should have included this in the in the book. So that's where the podcast. We thought, right, we can sort of really digest all the information that we've got from um, our experience, you know, our twenty plus years experience in the asbestos industry. So what we tried to do is kind of answered where we started. We tried to answer all the kind of common questions that people have um and then that kind of developed into um scenarios where you know we'd have a week in the office and something could happen so we would then pick that apart on the podcast um given our kind of steer on on what clients different client situations um but also we've got interviews on there from other kind of duty holders and stuff like that trying to get their steer on you know how they manage asbestos so there's quite a few interviews in there um yeah i think we're, we're over 100 um episodes um we took a pause during covid um but we're we're, we're due to be our next interviews on 19th of september so in the next couple of weeks we'll be back on it um and releasing weekly episodes great getting back on the horse <laughs> getting back on it yeah yeah well, <laughs> I, I missed it. it it got to a point where we're like because originally you know could we do a hundred episodes talking about asbestos? When we originally looked at it, thought we might struggle with that. But actually, you know, there is just so many different scenarios, situations. It kind of just sort of. I know yeah. exactly where you're coming from. So <laughs> how would I ever get? I'll get to fifty. I'll get to fifty about yeah. commercial property, and that'll be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's good. Um, like I said, it's free to download, so it's all free content. Yeah. Sure. Anyone. And yeah. where's um, where's the best place to find you? Neil, what, what, is there any platforms you spend a bit more time on? Yeah, so well, we've got we've got two websites. So um, the asbestos side one is acorn-as.com. For the safe, uh, health and safety CDM is acornhealthandsafety.co.uk. Um, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to kind of catch me. Uh, probably most most time on that. Um, or I'm, I am on Instagram as well. Um, just Neil underscore Monroe, um, and if you search for Neil Monroe asbestos on LinkedIn, you'll find me. <laughs> you'll wow. Definitely find me. Well, what I'll do um, when we finished up here, if you ping over some details, we'll, we'll put all in the show notes. Make sure it's correct, so people oh. can uh, just jump in there and and, and find out uh, more information about you. Yeah, that's it. If, if anyone has, a, you know, I'm I'm happy to answer, you know, just random questions, queries, pointing pointing people in the right direction. Um, yeah, just reach out and I'll hopefully be able to answer your questions. Brilliant. Thanks, Neil. One last question. Just geographical area that you guys cover. You were just talking there earlier on about opening up a new office. What, what yeah. What's your geography at the moment? So we, we do, um, we work nationally. So uh, okay. offices in um, London, Northampton, Wolverhampton and Cleckheaton, which is north, just outside Leeds. Um, so, yeah, we cover the whole of the UK, Scotland, Northern Ireland, so everywhere. Fantastic. Neil, it's been a real pleasure. Great to catch up with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Cheers.
Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.